You might not realize it, but life has a soundtrack. For most of us, it sounds a bit like... But you can always change the station. In hundreds of Delta Airlines destinations, you can turn your soundtrack into a global chorus. Delta. Keep climbing. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. In today's economy, more people than ever are looking to buy and sell businesses. But how do you do it? Welcome to The Deal Board, presented by Transworld Business Advisors. Straight talk about real deals and real people. Listen to stories, interviews, and expert advice to help your business sale, merger, or acquisition process. Now, here are your business exit experts, Andy and Jessica. Hey, we're back, and we did promise uh, an episode ago uh, that we were going to bring back Robert Johnson because our conversation was going so well talking about minority investment. And then he brought up the term opportunity zone and we were like, wow, we need to know more. Right, Jessica? Right. And opportunity zones have become a little bit of a buzzword in the investment community, mainly in real estate, but now in business acquisitions too. So we thought this is a great time to bring Robert back and talk about these opportunity zones and how it's related to business acquisitions. Yeah. So welcome back, Robert. And give us an idea what Opportunity Zones are and how it's fitting into your model that you're kind of launching in Chicago. Sure. Thanks, uh, Andy. And and good to talk to you again as well, Jessica. So um, when I think about minority investment, one of the things that I think is probably the most exciting development that has probably taken place in the last 30, 40 years is this uh, opportunity zone legislation. And I think it could be a great tool if, if uh, used properly to uh, do do uh, well and do good at the same time, um, which is, I think, uh, the goal behind it and what an opportunity zone is. So there are certain census tract areas uh, that each of the governors of the uh, states have been given or have designated, I should say, as opportunity zones, or in other words, uh, areas where um, these communities have been disinvested in for a whole variety of reasons. Most of of them are uh, either very rural or urban uh, communities that um, have seen some blight and have not uh, seen the same level of economic activity and investment as other parts of, of, of the cities and the counties that they're located in. And so the idea behind an opportunity zone is to stimulate um, investment um, into those areas in a way that uh, benefits both the community uh, and the individual investor and makes it a lot more attractive. So typically what a lot of economic development focused on were, were TIF districts or tax increment finance districts and other incentives that either the state or local government had to spur economic development. But the Opportunity Zone legislation was part of the most recent tax reform bill passed by uh, Congress in, in seven, uh, I can't remember if it was 18 or 17, I think it was early early 18. And basically what it allows an investor to do is defray capital gains tax, 100% capital gains uh, tax for an investment into a qualified Opportunity Zone 
um, if the investment is held for a certain period of time, 10 years in a day. So um, you can, if you got a hundred million dollar capital, uh, capital gain, and there's no limit um, as far as I know, the legislation is still kind of in progress and still being hammered out. But as far as I know, there are no caps on it. So if you take whatever amount of money you get as an invest as a capital gains and you want to park it like through a 1031 exchange or whatever it is that you use to recognize and realize this gain you can invest it into and what most people into an opportunity zone and what most people have focused on is the real estate so whatever capital gains that you got from that prior investment and any appreciation you get from the asset uh, that is invested in in the opportunity zone you and you hold it for the requisite time, 10 years in a day, you pay no taxes on it. So it's a huge incentive for uh, long-term investment uh, into uh, a community. And the easiest and the most, I should say the easiest, but where we have the greatest amount of guidance currently is around the real estate component of it. So if you buy uh, a a real estate development, or buy into a real estate development and hold it for that requisite time, then folks are pretty clear in terms of um, how that works because you can kind of project out what you anticipate your return will be. Uh, Where there's a little bit more, um, uh, I should say a a little bit less clarity is around the business that would sit also on top of the real estate. And that's where I think the exciting opportunity is. Unfortunately, because of those rigs, as I know, are not completely, um, have not been completely clarified because of the government shutdown. Those 30 some odd days, that stuff was supposed to be happening during that time. So um, I think there's due to be out within the next couple of weeks or months um, to give some greater guidance. But the idea in, in principle is that you get also the appreciation from not just the, the, the asset being the land, but also um, whatever the appreciation is from the business as well. How that exactly is going to be treated, I can't speak to yet because they haven't fully decided that. But that's the the leaning uh, that uh, that everybody expects to take place or the direction that everybody expects to take place. In addition to that, as a result of this, as you might imagine, a number of opportunity zone funds have uh, developed or have been uh, created. Um, there's a number of them um, that uh, are being developed for both accredited and non-accredited investors. So that if you don't actually want to de- uh, invest in a specific project, then there are funds that will be invested in opportunity zone projects. And then you can invest in the fund almost like a mutual fund. Uh, and still recognize the same uh, capital gains treatment as if you invested in the original project. So um, I think this is exciting because, again, it's attracting new dollars as opposed to what had been traditionally um, sort of government dollars and government funds. And as we all know, most of our governments uh, or most of our states and state funds are tapped out. Um, and the government is, is already operating at, at some pretty big deficits. So for them to be able to continue to develop some of these minority communities uh, without there being some kind of incentive uh, would be, would be a, uh, a heavy lift. So the ability to attract private capital into uh, these projects and, and sort of a, 
a public-private partnership, I think is a great opportunity for us as business brokers and intermediaries to be able to advise our clients about this whole new um, really uh, arena um, that is that is particularly ripe and you can get some pretty uh, create some pretty attractive opportunities for your clients by uh, being aware of this and, and developing relationships and becoming knowledgeable about this this area uh, of opportunity though that being the opportunity zones. No pun intended, right? <laughs> Not intended. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, and you mentioned it a little bit, Robert, but we are, I mean, right now the legislation is a little unclear around business acquisitions, but we are expecting that to clarify. And I think, like you talked about, it does present a lot of different um, opportunities for acquisitions for businesses in these in these rural communities, some of these minority communities. Um, and I know some, you know, we have an interview today, actually, uh, with someone from the state of Colorado, and Colorado has taken a big stance in pushing um, these zones. And I know some other municipalities have as well. How do you see this type of investment transforming some of the communities in your area in Chicago? Um, you know, last time you were on the show, you talked about economic transformation. Do you think opportunity zones can help in some of those communities in Chicago as well? I think it's critical. Absolutely. Um, I think, again, a lot of the reason why some of these communities remain blighted is because of a lack of outside investment. I mean, when you look at sort of the the non-opportunity zone uh, communities, they have developers that come in and they see that this 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 parcel, this this neighborhood uh, is viable. Um, and, and, and it makes sense in these numbers pencil for me to be able to get um, my a return on my investment. Um, well, unless you, uh, when you when you look at communities that have been traditionally disinvested or not invested in, the numbers just don't pencil for a developer um, because um, you have to wait on um, that the return, um, the risk versus the return, uh, or the risk versus the reward is a lot more speculative. Um, when you when you know that you're going to save a hundred percent tax and you're going to get full appreciation and you're going to be buying depressed land or in many instances a lot of the land is given um given away uh or 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 given at a nominal value uh to 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 further spur economic development it makes the numbers make a whole lot more sense um so there can be an opportunity for rapid transformation um because if you if you go through the south side of chicago the west side of chicago detroit uh, East St. Louis, um, a number of cities in the uh, in the country. There's huge. There's acres and acres of abandoned land uh, that the city has on its on its books that is more than willing to offload to somebody who's willing to to, to develop it. So um, I just think it's a great way for um, capital that would otherwise not even consider these neighborhoods as a viable uh, opportunity for them to look at it because it, it makes financial sense now. It's not dependent upon the goodwill or the benevolence or the philanthropy of somebody to say, hey, let's do something about this area. Now there's an economic motive and, and a capitalistic society. Uh, we've seen time and time again that that usually is enough to um, get someone's attention. Yeah, and we've seen that too, even in CRA and other 
affordable housing um, projects that it really does take uh, incentivizing the capitalist, you know, the capitalists to get involved in. And, and, you know, most I've seen, even in my community in Fort Lauderdale, we're working on affordable housing, you know, people do want to do the projects and they're even willing to be a little less profitable. But when you throw something like an opportunity zone into the mix and you make it profitable for them, you know, I think it is going to be bringing big dollars and hopefully, you know, trans world and you can use your model to get some owners in their owning franchises in some of these properties or in some of these businesses that, uh, like you said, instead of just creating jobs, you can create wealth. Yeah. And I think when I think about trans world in particular, I think our brands are uniquely suited, um, to be when it's particularly trans world itself, but the other UFG brands, I mean, I think about a venture X and I know that currently, um, um, venture X probably would, most more more likely be leaned towards a more affluent uh, area just because of this the numbers that are involved in owning a venture x but if you put a venture x in an opportunity zone um and 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 ironically uh, the opportunity zones we're, we're not talking about places where you think uh, uh, it, it, it's so weird the way the opportunity zones work is that some area that you think would be an opportunity zone isn't, and some areas that you think wouldn't be one is. And the example that I use is in my territory. Uh, I mean, I have the most affluent, uh, uh, probably probably part of the state. I mean, I got I have downtown Chicago as part of my territory and the South Loop. And while there aren't any in downtown Chicago, there are a, a huge area of the South Loop that's an opportunity zone. Um, so I could see a venture X going up in the South Loop of Chicago uh, easily, and it would be a great boon to the investor, a great um, benefit to the community. There's definitely density there for uh, a shared office space opportunity. Um, the, the, there's still ample opportunity for restaurants uh, with a, a, a great Greek or um, John Smith sub. I mean, so there's there's plenty of uh ways that we can leverage the UFG brands to, to help transform communities as well. Not to mention the other brands that we've uh, started developing a relationship with that are looking specifically to kind of be pioneers in some of these, some of these areas, because they know that there's also pent up demand. I look at one area of Chicago that we're trying to develop and working with a, with a church as just one corridor uh, on 95th street, which is maybe let's say five miles, maybe it's not even a five mile stretch, let's say a three mile stretch. And we had a, a, a economic study done on that and that little three mile stretch. And there's a 90, I'm sorry, $198 million retail gap and that three mile stretch of one street. In other words, if there were businesses that were opened on that street, there's an ability to generate another almost $200 million in revenue if the businesses were there on that street. So I think that um, a, a lot of people are overlooking what could be extremely lucrative opportunities because of the, the state of the where the communities are as opposed to where they could be. Um, and now these opportunity zones and other incentives that uh, exist that folks are not educated on, community block grants. I mean, there's grant money out there as well to be able to... Um, 
uh, developed neighborhoods. Uh, and here in Chicago, there's something called the Neighborhood Opportunity Fund that was created uh, by Mayor uh, Rahm Emanuel that requires um, developers who are developing high rises in downtown Chicago to anything over seven or a certain number of stories. I can't remember the exact number. They have to pay into this fund, um, which then that money is used to uh, provide grants um, and gift grants up to a small grant is considered $250,000 to a minority uh, business owner who opens up a uh, business uh, in one of these neighborhoods uh, that is designated uh, as being uh, an opportunity that needs uh, investment. Uh, now it's a, it's a grant for, um, uh, for renovation um, and like facade and equipment and things of that nature, hard costs that would uh, transform a, a business into a, it's for acquisition or transforming a, a, a space into a business so that if that business moves out, you know, the next next business doesn't have to do all of that same stuff. Maybe, maybe I have to make some renovations, but don't have to go through the whole process again. But it's a great way for, for businesses to to get started and, and for investment to take place again through a public-private partnership. I think all these programs are great. And I, I think the biggest thing for our listeners to take away from this episode is that, you know, opportunity zones are just one piece of the puzzle. But if you're looking to buy a business, especially, you should be doing some research in the area that you're purchasing the business or the municipality or the state to see what's available. Um, you know, Robert, you mentioned that you'd be surprised where these opportunity zones exist. And if you do a super simple Google search, you can usually find a map in your state. But just in Colorado, there's four different opportunity zones in downtown Denver, which you wouldn't you wouldn't imagine that would be happening right now. But there's a lot of different incentive programs out there if you're buying an buying a business or investing in certain communities that you do need to educate yourself and make yourself aware of because you might be missing some very good incentives and tax incentives through the purchase of the business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think of this as just another arrow in our, in our quiver in terms of being able to advise our clients about their overall investment strategy. Um, I mean, I know I come from the franchise world and we look at type, you know, we call it uh, a, a uh, parcel, a B parcel, C parcel. And I think this, this new calculus or the new opportunity zone, um, uh, process kind of changes some of that calculus because now this could something that was probably not even on the uh, radar of a of a place where I would put a business now could jump up to an A because the numbers make more sense to do it over here than something that otherwise would have traditionally been an A because um, with those A comes higher costs um, so yeah you may get. Um, a prime location and you may have, you know, an expectation of certain projections on this business. But if I could go somewhere and my, my total investment is, is less and I'm, I'm getting a great as good or if not, or even a greater return, that changes my definition of what a location is. Yeah. So I, I, you know, you've brought up so much today and uh, we might even have to have you on again, but even beyond that. So Robert, you know, Obviously, you're very knowledgeable in this uh, area. How best, you know, if someone wants to know more about investing in opportunity zones or, you know, opportunities in Chicago, or even if they just want to talk about minority investment in general, how best to get in touch with you? 
Sure. Um, I'd love to uh, help out in any way that I can. And the best way to reach me is on my cell phone because uh, I'm never in the office, but uh, cell phone and email. So 312-925-4579 is my cell. Uh, and then my email is rjohnson at tworld.com. Well, Robert, thank you again for joining us. And I know we've got some other great interviews on today's show. So I hope the listeners take a lot of information and take a lot of notes on this episode. But thank you again, Robert, for joining us. And we'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. Great. Thanks. Transworld Business Advisors is the world's largest business brokerage and mergers and acquisitions firm with over 500 brokers in nearly 200 offices worldwide. Transworld's team handles thousands of business sales every year. To be connected with a qualified business broker or learn more about the buying and selling process, visit tworld.com forward slash the deal board or call 888-719-9098. Hey, Andy, you know what time I think it is? I think it's time to talk about our deal of the week. Deal of the week. All right. So each week we like to feature a deal, what we call the deal of the week. And we often like to highlight deals that we do for good people. So good deals for good people. So this week we have Matt Prescott from our Denver office uh, talking about a moving company that we sold in a rural market recently. So Matt, I'll let you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about this deal and how they found, how they found us and what kind of company it was. Yeah, thanks, Jessica. Hey, this is Matt, um, broker here, Transworld Denver. Recently completed a deal uh, up in a rural area up in the mountains. Um, and I, w- I wanted to highlight this deal just because I thought uh, the people that we were able to help out both on the buy and the sell side, um, you know, really knew what they were doing. And it was just a really good deal for everybody involved. What size was the business and what were kind of some metrics and the numbers of the deal? Yeah, sure. So it was it was a pretty sizable little business for uh, what I've seen up in the mountains. Um, their top line revenue was about uh, just a touch under seven hundred and ninety thousand. Um, I calculated their discretionary earnings at about two hundred and sixty two thousand, um, and we were able to bring them to the market at five hundred and seventy five thousand. So before we get into the buyer and deal structure and everything, what prompted these business owners to want to sell? What what was the the pull for them deciding to um, walk away from the business and and do something else. Sure, yeah, and that that's kind of one of the more interesting pieces of this uh, story, I think. So they actually reached out to us. Um, unfortunately, they had um, a little bit of a tragedy in their lives. Um, so the the business was owned by a great husband and wife team. They had been running the business for about eighteen years. Uh, they had two children, and unfortunately, one of their children actually passed away. So that is, was kind of the driving force behind it. They really just wanted to exit the business and move uh, out of state to be closer to their other child. So that's um, kind of how it all started. So we know every deal has its challenges and problems that we have to work through. What were some of the challenges that you faced in this transaction? Yeah. So I think, well, the main challenge was just given its geographic location, it was a little bit more difficult to uh, find a buyer um, just because like, you know, we had mentioned it was in a more rural area. I think that kind of shrunk our buyer pool. Um, So that was one of the main challenges. Uh, And another one of the challenges, uh, just not to get too into it, but unfortunately the seller's mother actually ended up 
passing away in the midst of our deal um, during the due diligence process. So needless to say, her head uh, wasn't completely there um, and she knew most of the financial data. So she was an integral part to the deal. And obviously, you know, we don't want to push someone who's going through something like that. Um, So just the balance of um, really you know, continuing to, to coach her through the deal, but also being, you know, very cognizant of, of what she's going through. Um, so I think that was a, another challenge on the deal. So you eventually found a great buyer and really a perfect fit uh, for this business. So tell us a little bit about how you found that buyer and, you know, what his intentions were for the business. Yeah. So we actually found this buyer. We had made a connection um, with him through his searches for other businesses in our listing portfolio. So being able to learn what he was looking for, primarily, you know, a B2C service company, um, just, you know, in Colorado in general. But um, so the first time I engaged him wasn't even on this deal, but in, in talking to him and learning what he's looking for, we were able to uh, put this deal in front of him um, and it checked a lot of the boxes. Um, and again, uh, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, I think I mentioned it was, you know, a pretty cool story for both sides of the deal. But this gentleman um, was actually a U.S. veteran, uh, very savvy, ended up becoming um, pretty financially successful in his own right after his uh, service ended. And his whole idea was to purchase these businesses um, and actually input new veterans coming back uh, from their service into them in a management role and then structure the deal with them as um, that way down the line, they would be able to buy him out um, and they would have the business on their own, but he was able to kind of coach and mentor, um, you know, the new, the new veteran in the business. So it was actually really, really neat business structure. It's a really great story of providing jobs for veterans coming back from service and also developing them as entrepreneurs, especially in the veteran community now, there's actually a decrease in the level of entrepreneurs over time. So it's a great, great story. So Matt, um, tell us a little bit about the deal metrics. What was the final selling price? How was the deal structured? Things like that. Yeah. So I think we were able to get them a a very fair price for the business. We ended up selling uh, at $525,000 total purchase price. And then we structured that uh, with cash and carry. Um, so the majority of the cash up front, uh, along with, uh, I believe it was about a 20% uh, seller carry note on it just to um, make the buyer a little bit more comfortable, free up a little bit of the uh, capital, um, just because he did want to make a couple tweaks of the business, um, add a truck or so and some additional storage units. Um, so it really worked out you know, really well for everybody involved. Great. It's a great story and and a good example of doing good deals for good people. Thanks so much, Matt, for sharing with us. And thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you, Jess. Welcome back, everybody. And today, as you know, we're talking about opportunity zones. And I have a very special and unique guest joining me today, Jenna Persky, who's the Opportunity Zone Program Director for the Office of Economic Development in the state of Colorado. So Jenna, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Jenna, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and the role you play in Opportunity Zones in the state of Colorado? Sure. Um, so I, um, as mentioned, I'm based in the Office of Economic Development and International Trade, and I've been working on Opportunity Zones since last summer. Um, this is a investment incentive that passed at the end of 2017, and then in early 2018, um, each governor had the opportunity to designate the zones within their state. Once those were all approved in around April 2018, um, you know, then it was up to 
each state to figure out what what they wanted to do with these zones that were now on the map. Um, And then Governor Hickenlooper, as well as the the state's then head of economic development, Stephanie Copeland, um, identified Opportunity Zones as a priority um, and as a really exciting opportunity, for lack of a better word, for the state. Um, So so I started working on this in June of last year um, and then was really excited as Governor Polis came in. uh, He and our new executive director of economic development, Betsy Markey, um, were also, you know, excited about this program and actually decided to expand um, expand our our office of support for it. So um, I now get to spend 100% of my time on Opportunity Zones as the Opportunity Zone Program Director, and we'll be building out our team and our support over the coming months. Great. So, you know, before we jump into some questions, why don't you explain to the listeners what an Opportunity Zone is and what that term means? Absolutely. Yeah. So as I mentioned, uh, the Opportunity Zone program was created as part of the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. That was the tax reform bill. Um, But it had actually been kicking around in a variety of different forms uh, prior to that that tax bill. I think it was the Investing in Opportunity Act. Um, And there's a bunch of people on both sides of the aisle that were really excited about it. Senators Tim Tim Scott and Cory Booker were the two main sponsors. But I think at one point there was over 100 co-sponsors across the Senate and the House for this particular um, provision of the bill. And um, the, the reason people are so excited about Opportunity Zones is because coming out of the recession, um, you know, parts of this country have seen tremendous wealth creation. But mm-hmm. there's some really interesting maps, you know, and data sources that show almost all of that wealth creation has gone into a few concentrated areas, primarily on the coast and primarily on the, um, in urban areas. And so the goal of this um, this incentive is to take that that wealth and that capital that's been gained and distribute it out to distressed and rural communities uh, across the country. And so there's a yeah. couple ways that the incentive does that. Um, the way it works is that a taxpayer who has capital gains has to move those gains into an opportunity fund, and then that fund invests in opportunity zone property. Um, within the designated opportunity zones. And I'll kind of talk about each of those pieces in turn. But for the taxpayer, there's three main incentives. The first is um, a deferral of their capital gains. So if you, you know, get lucky today and sell a bunch of Apple stock and make $1,000, if you invest that, uh, cap- that gain into an opportunity fund, you don't pay capital gains tax on it this year. You also can get a basis increase, which is basically a decrease in the amount of capital gains you have. So that tax bill on that initial investment comes due in 2026. But mm-hmm. if you um, if you have held your investment in an opportunity fund for five years prior to 2026, you get a 10% basis increase, which means that you only pay capital gains tax on 90% of that um, initial, initial gain that you rolled into the fund. And if you've held your investment for seven years prior to 2026, then you get a 15% basis increase. So that means that that thousand dollars that I earned today that I rolled into an opportunity fund come 2026, I'll only pay capital gains tax on $850 of that. Wow. That's a really good incentive. Yeah. And then the third piece, which is actually what people are most excited about, is that if you hold your investment in an opportunity fund for 10 years, any appreciation on that investment is tax-free. 
So that $1,000 I invest in a fund today, the fund goes out and purchases some property and sells it for $2,000 10 years from now or 10 plus years from now, then um, you will not pay any capital gains tax on that appreciation of $1,000. So of that $1,000 that turned into $2,000 that all started as a capital gain anyway, you'd only pay tax on $850 of it. Yes, it's a great incentive program and creates great opportunities in rural environments. Well, but what should business owners look for specifically in these opportunity zones? Yeah, and so I'll preface this part by saying that we're still waiting on more guidance from the U.S. Treasury, um, and we're expecting that to come, you know, really in the next couple weeks. Um, and I think that will provide more specific clarity on how businesses can benefit from this investment. But broadly speaking. Um, uh, one of the main goals of this incentive was to stimulate business growth and job growth and entrepreneurship. And so opportunity zone capital can be used to invest in um, operating businesses that exist within an opportunity zone and are looking to grow. Right now, we don't have a really clear definition of what, how a business could qualify um, as a qualified opportunity zone business. Um, and, and that's what we're looking for more guidance from the U.S. Treasury. But if you are a business that's located in one of the opportunity zones um, and you're thinking about raising equity or you're a business that's not located within an opportunity zone but thinking about raising equity, you know, you could definitely think about moving into an opportunity zone to take advantage of these benefits. Because the idea is that any investors that invest in your company, not only do they get the benefits of of that investment, but they also get the tax incentives created by the Opportunity Zone program. And so that will, you know, ideally make raising capital um, more easier for you as a business and also potentially make it possible for you to get more favorable terms on that capital. And a lot of our clients are acquiring or selling businesses and it, it does give some better terms and even it potentially could increase the value of some businesses. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And and I'll note here that um, both personal and corporate capital gains can be used and can benefit from this incentive. So your business could, um, you know, if you're, you could sell a business and whether those gains are personal or corporate, you could reinvest those into another opportunity zone business um, and receive the incentive. You know, that's something I didn't even think about. It's almost like getting double the benefits. Yeah, exactly. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the benefits for opportunity zones in the state of Colorado? Yeah, so there, I think there's three main benefits that we're seeing in Colorado. The first is that there's attention being paid to areas that were previously being overlooked. There's some statistic like 70% of venture capital goes to um, California, New York, and Massachusetts. And, you know, looking at Colorado and the, the opportunities and the business and the tremendous entrepreneurial spirit that we have here, you know, that feels crazy. And we want to unlock, we don't want to be just competing over, you know, that last 25%, but we also want to be, you know, we want to be competing for, for more and more capital. Um, So, and now that these zones are on the map, we're getting attention from some of those, you know, bigger investors or national funds that previously might've overlooked Colorado, particularly our rural and distressed areas. Um, the second benefit I think that we're seeing is we're seeing more companies and communities think about think strategically about how to attract capital. Um, you know, we a lot of our economic development efforts across the state at both the state and local level 
has often been focused on community development and business attraction. And now we're adding kind of a third pillar of capital attraction to that, which will really have benefits for for businesses, for real estate, for all you know residents of those communities um, that will now see more support from from their state and local economic developers. And then the third benefit is just more capital coming in. Um, mm-hmm. And so we think that capital can be used to address, you know, some of the housing problems that we're having. It can be used for downtown revitalization. It can be used for infrastructure and clean energy. It can be used to support business growth and entrepreneurship. And so um, what's really exciting about this incentive is that, you know, it unlocks flexible pools of capital that can be used to address a wide variety of challenges, both on the state and local level. And that was something you just brought up that I wanted to touch on, too, that most of these opportunity zones are in rural areas, but some of them are in urban areas as well, even in areas like downtown Denver. Yeah, absolutely. So about 40% of the opportunity zones in the state of Colorado are on the front range and about 60% are off the front range. And if you want to um, see a searchable map of those zones, you can go to choosecolorado.com slash OZ. And there's a map where you can see all the zones and put in the specific address and see whether it's in the zone. So my last question is that yourself and the Colorado Office of Economic Development have taken a unique approach in marketing these opportunity zones for the state. Tell us a little bit about what you and the state have done to promote and market opportunity zones in the state of Colorado. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think, you know, we're definitely seeing other states come online, but we've, we're really excited about the work we've done to position Colorado as a leader um, because we think it'll help you know, help send a sign that, that Colorado has great opportunities for capital and is really open for business. So there's a couple things um, we've been working on. You know, the first just being education and outreach, and that's why I'm so excited to be speaking to your audience today, but just doing as much as we can to get the word out to upper, about Opportunity Zone to all the different parts of the ecosystem across the state. Um, the second is is community support and empowerment. You know, we, this is you know just really just a private capital incentive, um, but and so there doesn't actually need to be any any government involvement. But our working theory is that in order for this incentive to have the benefits um, that we'd like it to have on the community side, communities need to be empowered to understand opportunity zones and identify projects within within their zones that will benefit their residents and then make those projects as attractive and accessible to, to investors as possible. So we've really been working with communities across the state to identify those projects, to think about what other incentives they can layer on to make those as attractive as possible, and then to build, you know, perspectives for a performer that they can put in front of an investor um, to really ease the friction and make it easier for, for capital to say yes. Um, can really benefit their communities. And then the third piece is investment facilitation and finding as many ways as possible for capital and projects to find each other. Um, so we've had a, a few uh, events, in-person events and pitch events. And then we also just launched a website. Uh, the URL is co-invest.co. And that's not just for opportunity zones, but that's for any real estate or business that's seeking capital um, across the state can go online and upload their information. And then there's also an investor portal where investors can create profiles and then both sides can search across and find each other. So we kind of call it match.com for investing um, and trying to provide a tech platform to allow projects and capital to find each other in Colorado. 
Well, Jenna, we really enjoyed having you on the show and the work you've done has really increased the visibility of opportunity zones in the state of Colorado, which I know, just know will unlock a lot of economic development in some of these communities. So thank you so much for joining the show. For the listeners, we will drop those two links into the show notes. So if you wanted to get in touch with Jenna or learn more about opportunity zones in the state of Colorado, you can reach those there. Jenna, thank you so much again. Thanks, Jessica. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? Almost. It's time for Listing of the Week. Hey, we're back with Listing of the Week. And we have Steve Wright from Transworld Business Advisors of Raleigh. And he has a franchise resale to talk about. All right, Andy. So, you know, all of these companies, there's like tons of franchises. But I think most of these franchise companies, they all have some type of sub sandwich and so we, we have a listing of the week that we're really excited about. We get to work with one of our clients that's selling a subway and uh, really excited about this listing because uh, once we put it, made it live, um, the buyer was wanted to be really aggressive and dropped their price to about 139000 I think the SDE on it's between sixty dollars and $70,000. So we're really ex- excited to represent this franchise resale, and uh, we're hoping that uh, the right buyer comes along to find it. That's great. So how best to get in touch with you? Somebody wants to buy that subway. Yeah, so the best way to get a hold of me by phone is 919-379-5776, or they can email me at sright at teamworld.com. Great having you in. Thanks for tuning into our show today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review. If you have questions or suggestions for the show, visit us at tworld slash the deal board or email us at the deal board at tworld.com. Life's soundtrack can feel a bit like, but you can still change the station. With Delta Airlines, you can turn your soundtrack into a global chorus. Delta. Keep climbing. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.